Reply guys, we are so excited this week to be joined uh, one by Julia from her bedroom crouching, telling us a secret. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> and also by uh, Rania Kalik from Breakthrough News. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So you've been covering uh, apartheid in the Middle East for a long time. I've seen a lot of your videos. Um, you know, it's, this is one of the biggest subjects of all time. I don't really know where to start, but I, I, I guess, you know, just like loosely, um, Rania, if you can just give us a, a, you know, a 10 second bite on the Israeli Palestinian conflict. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. 10 seconds. I love that. That's actually what boil it down. I feel like that is what, what some people that's what they say on CNN. They're like, uh, quickly, 10 seconds, what's happening? Yeah. And then the answer is usually something like, well, both sides need to de-escalate. There's provocations, and Israel has the right to defend itself from Palestinian children um, <laughs> who keep getting in the way of their missiles. It's really, it's like pretty shocking stuff. No, I mean, I can start by just talking about what's taking place right now, very briefly. Yeah, we'd love to hear like your overview of what's happening right now. <laughs> right, so obviously this has like become a, a headline news story and it doesn't seem like it's going away for probably the next few days, but um, this started a few weeks ago with escalations from the Israelis in Jerusalem uh, initially. There's this neighborhood in, in, East, in occupied East Jerusalem called Sheikh Jarrah, and it is full of Palestinian families who mostly had fled from cities inside present-day Israel during the 1948, what they call Nakba, the catastrophe, when Israel uh, established uh, the state and did so by removing some 750,000 Palestinians uh, from across Israel, basically taking over their land and property. And so a lot of the Palestinians that live in this particular occupied East Jerusalem neighborhood um, actually came there in the early 50s. And so there is this ongoing attempt in East Jerusalem, uh, which right now is majority Palestinian, to make it majority Jewish. And in order to do that, there's been these court disputes by these settlement organizations basically making claims to this property in East Jerusalem saying we have a, you know, this is actually Jewish property. And it, these claims have been making their way through the Israeli courts and the Israeli courts have been agreeing with the settlement organizations. And so that is where stuff started with this neighborhood called Sheikh Jarrah, where these, there's these, these Israeli Jewish settlers that are trying to take over the homes of some 70 people that live in this neighborhood who are Palestinian. Um, and the Israeli state, uh, particularly, under, particularly under Benjamin Netanyahu, had recently accelerated those court orders to try to get these Palestinians out of these houses sooner and replace them with Jewish settlers. And so that's kind of where these tensions began. It's, there's been ongoing protests over the last several weeks, particularly 
um, at the time when people break the fast for Ramadan, which has also been taking place. And so that was the first provocation. Then there's another issue of the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is also in Jerusalem. And the Al-Aqsa Mosque, it's the, you guys have probably seen it in the news this week because it's also been making headlines. It's the third holiest site in Islam. It's a very important uh, mosque for Palestinians, particularly. Well, there's also, again, this Jewish settler movement, which is increasingly extreme and increasingly like fanatically religious. Uh, they have been for years trying to take over the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Their, their agenda is to demolish it and build in its place a third Jewish temple so they can bring about the end times. So there's this, it's, it's really fanatical and crazy. Like this is, I'm talking like, think of like Jewish Taliban here. That's the mentality of this particular group of people. Whenever and anyone's trying to bring about the end times. It's never good. It's never It's never good. like, oh, like, positive guy. Just what a trying chill to bring group. About the, the yeah. end times. You know, right. he's just a very low-key fun dude. You no, know? I, never, yeah. never, never a good idea in my opinion. I'm not, I'm not very into the end times, so I'm not, I'm not down with this. But there, but there's this, been this like fanatical sort of like religious. I mean, every religion has its like super extreme end times element, and this is the Jewish one, right? And so they used to be like um, a fringe group of people in Israel, but in the last couple decades, they've become not so fringe, and this particular. Uh, this particular strain of religious fanaticism has made its way into the Israeli government. Like people are starting to get elected to positions in the Israeli Knesset, the Israeli parliament, um, and as well as like uh, local political positions in Jerusalem. And they, so they've got, the, they've got the beginnings of the political backing of the Israeli government, these crazy settler groups. So as this stuff in this one neighborhood I mentioned earlier is happening, you've also got these Israeli provocations from both settlers backed up by police at Al-Aqsa Mosque. You saw a few days ago the Israeli police stormed the mosque. Um, things got really out of control. And part of this is also happening because, you know, Benjamin Netanyahu, who's been prime minister of Israel for like the last 15 years, um, he is clinging to power desperately right now because he's facing these crazy, like very intense corruption charges. Like he's facing, mm -hmm. facing prison time. There's a lot of evidence against him. And in an effort to avoid having to deal with that, he's clinging to power. He can't form a coalition right now. So instead, what he's trying to do is he's trying to force his opponents into a corner by getting the right to align behind him. And that's what a lot of these escalations have to do with. Benjamin Netanyahu is not a religious fanatic. He's a, he's an, he's an asshole, but he's, and he's like right wing, but he's not the religious kind. But he's kind of made this alliance with the religious fanatics in order to cling to power. And that's what these escalations are partly to do with. The thing is, things in Jerusalem got super out of control. Like you can't continue to escalate, 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 try to like ethnically cleanse Palestinians here, attack their most important mosque over there and like stick these settler goons on them. And like, you know, in the recent week, you've had these settler goons like marching in the streets of Jerusalem, chanting death to Arabs. Um, and, you know, not, and, and of course the police come and they end up helping them attack Palestinians and defending the settlers. And so as this is taking place, Palestinians across Palestine, uh, including Palestinian citizens of Israel are getting pissed off. They start protesting. And Hamas, who's in charge of Gaza, is also getting pissed off. There's also these Palestinian internal divisions between Hamas and this other political party, uh, the Palestinian Fatah, which is in charge of the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank. And so Hamas kind of like inserts itself 
or I should say asserts itself and responds to the escalation in Jerusalem with rockets yesterday. And then the Israelis turn, you know, what was a problem in Jerusalem that they started and escalated into an escalation against Gaza by, as you saw yesterday, um, you know, just bombing Gaza with these airstrikes and killing like 28 people, including 10 children, um, six of whom died like in a single strike. I think they were maybe in the same family. Uh, and now here we are. And now, you know, now rockets are raining over Israel um, from Gaza and things are just escalating dramatically. Now you've got Palestinian citizens of Israel protesting because an Israeli Jew shot a Arab, an Arab, a Palestinian Israeli uh, in protests yesterday. And then that city got the people there got pissed off and now they're angry and like burning cars and Netanyahu's, you know, calling a state of emergency and sending in the border police. And I mean, things have just completely like escalated kind of beyond repair um, at this point. I'm not sure it can be stopped, at least not like it's going to be a few days because now, you know, both sides want to look strong. Neither side's going to back down. And of course, one side is way more armed than the other. Right. By us. <clears throat> yeah. The... I think that, you know, I, I was talking to some friends about uh, about the situation today, about the escalating violence. And my friend said something that I knew intellectually, but I hadn't even heard it articulated in this way in particular, uh, is that Israel is the only party here that has an army. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And the... So to act or frame it as so many Western media outlets do as Palestinian aggression and Israel defending itself, Israel has the mechanisms to properly defend, defend itself. They have uh, mandatory army conscription. Uh, so... That that is one. They of have the, Wonder Woman. They right. Have, yeah, they've got. They've, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. they've got Gal Gadot, yeah. and she's got superpowers. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, yeah. it's 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 more than that. Even like Israel. Okay, Israel's the only nuclear armed state in the Middle East, and yeah, it has an army. It also the you know Israelis also have bomb shelters. I mean, they have bomb shelters because they're occupying and colonizing people. And like they know that that causes a response, resentment, so, right? resentment, you anger. A like, like you're like my boundaries. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So like Israelis, like they have bomb shelters and safe rooms in their houses to hide in, um, and yeah, they have the Iron Dome, which I think is a huge scam because it seems to never work. Um, but the U.S. like spends hundreds of millions of dollars every year on this Iron Dome system that's supposed to like intercept these homemade rockets. Like, what do Palestinians have? They have these like militias they, that, you know, they have Islamic Jihad and Hamas and Gaza uh, who literally are the, the Gaza is an open air prison of two million people. It's completely under siege. It's been blockaded by air, land and sea for the last, you know, 12 years now. Um, and, you know, people, the U.N. used to say Gaza's water was going to be undrinkable by 2020. Well, it's 2021 now. And Gaza has no drinkable water left. Gaza is a place where people literally like just spend their entire lives there because they can't leave. It's one of the most densely populated place on, places on Earth. And the last time that Israel bombed Gaza, Operation Protective Edge in 2014, they spent 51 days essentially carpet bombing this place, 
and they killed over 500 children. They killed 2,200 Palestinians, 80% of whom were civilians. It was like a 51-day attack on civilians, and they used Hellfire missiles and bunker buster bombs, fighter jets, tanks. I mean, they have all the weapons you can imagine brought to them by our tax dollars. And what do Palestinians have? They have homemade rockets. They right. have they have balloons that they like send, you know, they set on fire and send into Israel. And they have their bodies because remember, everyone's always like, why can't Palestinians peacefully protest? They do. They do it all the time and they get shot and nobody cares. And also like, what do you expect people to do? You expect them to just like silently die? You like right. just to like submit? No one would do that. Nobody who's occupied and colonized would do that. They've never done it. In fact, historically speaking, colonized people fight back and they fight back violently, whether it's in South Africa, whether it's Native Americans here, whether it's Indians against the British. So like there's nothing unique about Palestinians that they're violently fighting back against Israel. They're just responding like human beings do when they're under attack. And that's why I mean, we never talk about Palestinians having a right to self-defense. It's like this naked, defenseless population. They don't have shelters to hide in. Israel bombs their children and nobody cares. And the West just completely arms Israel to do it. Never puts any conditions on it. Yesterday, Ned Price, the State Department spokesperson, was asked to if he could condemn the killing of Palestinian children and he couldn't do it. Like he, he, he couldn't just say, yes, I condemn the killing of Palestinian right. children. Like, that's too controversial in America. You really shouldn't be killing kids at all. You know, no, like, that, like, even I, that is, like, he a couldn't even, response. He couldn't even, be, yeah. like, he couldn't even yeah. be, like, I condemn the killing of all children. Like, he couldn't even, yeah. it was, like, he was, like, bending over backwards not to answer that question. Couldn't and so, even all kids' lives matter <laughs> it, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But, yeah, but, like, to the point that you said, Israel has an army. Israel's army is committing like war crimes on a daily basis, like on a regular day, forget Gaza being bombed on a regular day. Israel is controlling and dominating a population of like four and a half to five million Palestinians between the West Bank and Gaza who have zero rights. They have zero rights. They don't even get to vote for this government and army that controls their everyday lives and everyday movement in Gaza. It counts the calories that are allowed to go in. They literally, Israel, Israel has a formula for how many calories each person in Gaza needs to not starve to death. And that's how they decide how much food goes into Gaza. Mm. Like this they is Keith Rainier level monitoring. This is, you know, this is fucking Nixium <laughs> I mean, shit. It's, it's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. Like, I you think about how annoyed you get when, like, you get stuck at a red light. Right. Yeah. Like or like or like the subways late or just like anything inconvenient happens in your day. And then imagine there's just like armed people who are policing your every movement and getting in your way like all the time. Like no. you can't go here. You can't go there. You have to wait at this checkpoint. You have like there you're surrounded by a bunch of crazy settlers. Like nobody ever tells you how insane these settlers are. They're so nuts. It's like being surrounded by. I mean, who in America just like like fucking MAGA KKK? Worse, no, it's like yeah, yeah. it's like it's like we're yeah, it's like it's just it's awful. Like it's just I I mean, and they're and the, some of them are from America. Like just the worst people in America. Imagine the kinds of people in America who you know go move to Israel, like because like they're just like they can't you know if you see some of these images of people like it's just like the worst kinds of Americans, like because if you go to Israel like and you're if you're like an American Jew. You can go 
and move into a settlement, you get free housing, you get free, you get guns and you get like, you get like a stipend. Actually, maybe it sounds kind of good if you live in America and you don't have like health insurance, but I mean, I don't think those are the kinds of people who are going. It's people who are like fanatical about the land. They think God gave them land. That's the mentality. It's like, think about like evangelical Christians, like the most obnoxious ones. It's like that. Being surrounded by them with guns. It's fucking, it's insane. And I think that the thing is, it's like, you know, when you were talking, when you were describing this whole circumstance, it's like, you're explaining it really well. And um, it's still like, I'm still like a little bit like, what's going on? And I think the fact that some of this stuff is like, it's because the, the, what happens next, like it is, it is kind of confusing. And I think that although like the minutia of it is confusing, the situation of no, this is um, apartheid, that's not confusing. But I think that a lot of the time that the like defense is like, who can understand this? And a lot of people feel like it's not a thing what's going on is not a thing they can understand it's intentionally like made complicated but like what's not complicated about it is like you have you have this country that was established to be a jewish state in an area of the world that has a lot of non-jews in it like to be a to be a jewish nationalist state and in order to do that Israel has had to maintain uh, what, you know, what they, what like they call, you know, they have to maintain a Jewish demographic majority, but they have all these Palestinians, these natives that don't match that identity. And so it's in order to have a state like that, you have to commit huge levels of violence and you have to put in place really sophisticated mechanisms of domination and control, whether that's the siege on Gaza or whether that's this like really crazy maze of separation walls and settlements and checkpoints all around the West Bank. And then also inside Israel proper, where you have about a million Palestinian citizens of Israel, there's like 50 laws on the books that explicitly discriminate against non-Jews. And I think why this is so difficult for Americans oftentimes to wrap their heads around is because when we think of, like when we think of uh, of Jews, we think of them as like a minority who were genocided by Europe, right? We don't think of uh, this like nationalist apartheid state in the Middle East that's like super aggressive. And Israel's really been able to use, we all know, like Israel's been able to use the history of the Holocaust to its advantage, like everything that anyone says that's critical of Israel's behavior. You call it apartheid. You call it, you accuse it of occupation. Um, you accuse it of violence. They just, you know, they play the anti-Semitism card over and over again. And it's worked for a lot of decades. But I think now a lot of that's shifting largely because, you know, you can't cover up videos that you see on social media. Like you can't spin videos of these massive bombings in Gaza of just like these crazy settlers that are like, I don't want to be, I don't want to have anything to do with those people. Like you can't, you can't spin that as liberal and democratic. And then furthermore, you know, I think that American Jews, especially younger American Jews are like, I don't identify with that. Like I'm liberal. Like I don't identify with that crazy, like that crazy ass fanaticism. And I don't like want to be identified with occupation and apartheid. And also, like, there's just not this connection. You can't, it's almost like you can't parade, like, the Holocaust over the heads of, like, 
25-year-old Jews because they're really far removed from that era. And that doesn't really like work on them. So I think all of that is coming together to like really shift the conversation on Israel, at least among like liberals and Democrats in a way that I haven't seen, at least in my lifetime. But I understand it's like still really hard and, and complicated for like average people to understand because it's so whitewashed. And if you turn on like CNN or MSNBC, all you see is, oh, like Israelis are hiding because like these evil, crazy, savage Palestinians are coming to like drink their blood or something. Like right. that's essentially the narrative that they put out. Right. I mean, I, I think as, as we've alluded to earlier, the, um, you know, the the Western mainstream media has a very particular bent um, on this conflict. And it is almost always, uh, as we said earlier, framing Israel as defending itself. But I want to I want to we've been jumping around a lot and I want to. Uh, I want to talk about the settlements uh, a little bit because, you know, you in your your very like fun animated way uh, have we're, we're describing these quote unquote crazy settlers, but it it's it's a lot more organized than that, and it's not yeah more um you know it's it's not just a bunch of like rogue Israeli vigilantes. Uh, it's a it's an organized effort to push the Palestinians out of their homes by force, essentially. Right. Yeah. And I mean, this is completely subsidized by the state. Um, like I said, like there's like incentives to get people to come settle and take over, uh, formerly Palestinian homes, formerly Palestinian land. And in the case of like East Jerusalem, the state has backed this effort in full force. Like the Israeli courts, you know, are always siding with these settler organizations that are very well funded to decide that, oh, this property actually belongs to Jews and you have to hand it over. Like the Israeli courts are the ones that are giving the eviction orders. Right. The settler organizations are initiating it and demanding they be evicted, but then it makes it through the Israeli courts and then they end up upholding it. And again, it's being, like I mentioned, it's being pushed through by the Netanyahu government to like, it's, it was being accelerated by them. This fight over Sheikh Jarrah that got all this attention this last week has been ongoing for years. Uh, these evictions have been making their way through the courts and there's been like an appeals process and so on and so on. And now that the, you know, the decision to evict these people was supposed to come down yesterday, which was Monday, but it got deferred for 30 days because it just, you know, there was so much international outrage and the international outrage was even coming from Western governments. I mean, you had, you know, all these democratic lawmakers, some of whom have actually been very good friends to Israel, like denouncing this effort to kick these people out of their homes. But yeah, it's been a state backed effort to what they call Judaize East Jerusalem. Because right. ultimately Israel wants Jerusalem to be the capital of Israel. And if half of it is majority Palestinian, that's a problem. And we, you know, we saw during the Trump administration that uh, the U.S. embassy in Israel was moved uh, from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, which was seen as a as a big gift uh, to Israeli nationalists and to the Netanyahu government. And I don't want to make everything too U.S. centric, but it's well, um, it's all about the U.S. Though, it is all it day. is all about the U.S. <laughs> it's like and happening it, because of America. It is, and um, 
you know, certainly, and what I what I mean I mean by that is is just as a preface to say Netanyahu is not dissimilar to a lot of uh, Republican lawmakers uh, here in the U.S. who uh, are not particularly religious uh, or uh, zealous themselves, but who um, attach themselves to that base um, as a way of growing their political power. Um, and so that, that rings very familiar and it should ring very familiar to a lot of people here, but yes, the, uh, Republicans and the conservative media have largely echoed those, uh, talking points that we, that we heard you discuss earlier about any criticism of Israel, um, any, even the, the, the mention of them as the aggressors in this situation, uh, is decried as, uh, anti-Semitism. Uh, and it, but it's not just conservative media. It's also mainstream media. I was New York Times. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was, the New York Times is, I mean, New York Times is basically center right on foreign policy. Conservative media, yeah. Uh, foreign policy in in particular, but. Well, the New York Times columnist, uh, I'm sorry, I'm actually mixing it up with the Washington Post. The Washington Post columnist is Isabel Kirshner, if I'm not mistaken. She actually has a child in the Israeli army. But oh my gosh. Well, just wh- wh- Washington Post. Where is it New York Times? Now I can't. I think it's Washington Post. If I'm wrong, I apologize to Isabel Kirshner that I got her outlet wrong. The <laughs> the Washington Post did publish an op-ed or, you know, uh, a piece today um, citing that we have to acknowledge Israel's culpability in this you know, in this conflict, um, which for a mainstream news outlet is huge, but it's it's very much a common sense thing. But even, you know, I was listening to Morning Edition on NPR and the, I mean, the first words about this, uh, these recent events started with the phrase Palestinian, Palestinian militants. Yeah. And to have that be like the opening phrase automatically uh sets up a particular tone and again paints uh the palestinians as the aggressors in the situation and it relies so much on racism too because it's yeah. just like you know i mean it's uh I, I think any person in the united states can certainly um identify with like they'd be mad if someone tried to kick them out of their literal home where they were living I'd certainly <laughs> I'd be, be mad, so if, mad. <laughs> yeah like if my if you know if some other lady came here and was like oh actually these are my rainbow lights now I uh these are, these are my your cats they're mine um like we could all identify with that like there's all you know like the the empathy is something that is only blocked because people are like oh you know brown middle eastern terrorists and it's like everything is like well actually it's a terrorist house that they're getting kicked out of where they were making that a terrorist so terrible they were making house. a terrorist dinner and uh you know they were eating a freaking you know they literally do that. They literally just bread add, you know? <laughs> they literally add the word terror in front of everything like the israelis add the word terror in front of the word tunnels terror like, tunnels yeah they call them terror tunnels because like like uh, Hamas will build their 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 army wing will build these like tunnels, um, and is to get around underground. 
you know, because like Israel bombs everything above ground. And so they call them terror tunnels. Like they, they have, they add it to everything. And I mean, it's, what's really crazy. They actually bombed a, um, a Palestinian, like a residential building in Gaza today. Um, just a, a high rise building. They were like, well, a Hamas official lived in there. And they just so they just dropped the bomb on it and like collapsed the entire building. So it's like even beyond just stealing your home, like imagine if somebody because they did, they were like, oh, but we warned people first. So they evacuated. But like, OK, fine. I'm glad you didn't like kill everybody in that apartment building. But oh, my God, I would be so angry if I got a call that was like, you have to leave your house. I'm going to bomb it in five minutes. Like, I'd be really mad if you destroyed everything I spent my life building. Um like, you don't have, how much would you take out of your house with you? Like, what if, if somebody just bombed your house, you lose everything you own. Um, yeah. So it just, it's like even, or they, and they demolish homes like all the time to, uh, to the, that settlers can rebuild over them, like in the West Bank. I'd be pissed too. Like, it's just everything. Yeah. You would empathize with the Palestinian side if you actually got the facts. But instead you get this really lame narrative where it's like, everything starts with Palestinians provoked it. Like everything yeah. is framed that way. Palestinian yeah. militants did this. So Israel responded by killing 25 children. Like, and you're like, oh, okay. Well, I mean, they had no choice because, you know, Palestinians hit them with, with homemade rockets. Like, I mean, it, it's, such a, it's such a deep level of racism that that speaks to that even children, like even, you know, you're like, oh, well, you know, just because he was four years old doesn't mean that he wasn't doing terror with his buddy yeah. in preschool or something, you know? Yeah, like, it's just Or his parents were, like, teaching him terrorism. I mean, that's yeah. actually what they say more openly in Israeli society, which is, like, is that's the idea, is they actually say Palestinians lo- hate us more than they love their children. Like, they make us kill their children. That's, the, that's actually, like, the open rhetoric, is yeah. they don't give us... They give us no choice. They give us... And like if if there it's always Hamas's fault. Like it's always Hamas's fault. Well, if Hamas would just, you know, stop shooting at us from civilian areas. And it's also, you know, Israel does the same thing. If you look at Israel's military bases, it's all in civilian areas, in residential areas. Like if those same uh exceptions to the rules of war were applied to they would never be applied to Israel. It would never be okay to like bomb the home of an Israeli official because he's a army commander or something. Yeah. But in Pal- like in, in Gaza, that's perfectly fine. The new, the rules are never, the rules are never applied and Israel can do no wrong. And sometimes it's like almost cartoonish. Like it's cartoonish how much gets defended. And again, like I really, I, I, I urge people like go look at the statistics from the war on Gaza in 2014. Cause I, I do worry you're going to see something similar if things don't deescalate now. Over the course of 51 days in the summer of 2014, Israel killed 2,200 Palestinians. 500 and some odd of them, over 500, were children. Like, do you, can you think if you can even list 500 people? Like, if somebody gave you a paper and pen, could you write down the names of 500 people you know? Like, right. probably not. So the number of people you know, Israel killed them by probably, like, five. If you know, like, 100 so, people you could write down. So uh, 500 children. Another way to think about this, uh, if, you know, because these narratives are so entrenched in discussions of foreign policy in the U.S. and in our our mass media, replace Israel with Iran. Mm -hmm. Everything the same and see, would, would we be acting, would we, would the United States be responding that way? 
or I mean, Syria. Uh, we recently intervened in uh, and have intervened in, in Syria um, because of the use of chemical weapons against uh, uh, against their own people. Um, you know, there are certain countries who are. So I would say, too, though, it's also the victims because like the right. it's also who it's not just who's doing it. It's also the victims. But like. It's like if it's happening in a brown country and it's brown on brown violence, then it's like you can humanize the victims. But because the Amer in the American consciousness, Israelis are seen are, are portrayed as like they're just like us, mm -hmm. like they're Western living in this really hostile neighborhood, their victims become because I always find that interesting because in Syria, it, all these journalists, I mean, having I live in the Middle East. And so I'm, I, I, I do spend a lot of time around other Western journalists and I'm always amazed by how they're really able to empathize with the victims of war in Syria. And I always like, I wonder why doesn't that translate over to Palestinians? Palestinians look like Syrians. Exactly. They speak that's, like Syrians. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Right? Like they have the same names as people in Syria, like Ahmed and Mohammed and whatever, like all those same Arabic names. But for some reason, it just doesn't translate. And it has to do with who's doing it. Right. And the fact that Americans are in popular culture, like really, really identify with Israel. But you know, one thing about Israel that, among other things that makes me really sad is like, if you look at some of the people who make up the front lines of these kinds of settler extremists that you see, particularly in Jerusalem, um, or these settler youths, these like religious extremist youths, if you actually look at their faces, they're not white, they're brown, they're right. descendants of Iraqis and Moroccans and Yemenis and all of these various Middle Eastern Jews that because of Zionism and the creation of Israel were either um, pushed out of their home countries or were lured to, into coming to Israel. Um, it depends which country you're talking about. Both of those things are true. Um, but, you know, the creation of Israel really did shatter the the fabric of society in so many Middle Eastern countries. I mean, Baghdad was one of the oldest Jewish communities in the Middle East, and it doesn't exist anymore mm -hmm. because um, now all, you know, all those people left and many of them went to Israel. Uh, and, you know, it's just sad because some of those people still speak Arabic because their parents or grandparents did. And in a way, you know, and, and it's just sad to see that, like, Sometimes they're the most fanatical ones because they happen to be a part of the working class because, like, Israel does have, like, a racial hierarchy even among Jews. You have, like, the European Jews who are, like, more a part of the elites. And then you have the Arab Jews or what they call Mizrahi Jews who are, you know, a bit darker and a little bit discriminated against and, you know, more, more like, you know, in working class jobs and positions. And they tend to be like, it, it just makes me sad because you see the faces of these settler youths yelling at Palestinian youths. And I'm like, they look exactly the same. Right. I mean, it's, there's so much, there's so, there's so many things that just make me really sad about the imposition of the settler colonial state. And um, it affected the entire region in so many, in so many ways. Yeah. It's, I think that, I mean, maybe this is overly optimistic of me, but I feel like if more people like understood what was actually going on, you'd see a lot more outrage than you do. I'm wondering, like, um, of, like, books and stuff, like, is there any kind of intro resource that you'd recommend for, you know, let's say you can, you know, get your mom to read, like, one thing. What should the one thing be? <laughs> I actually, one of, I think one of, um, there's a couple books. I, there's, Goliath by Max Blumenthal from like 
probably six or seven years ago is yeah. a really important research. I think it's a resource. I think it's one of the best books written um, that kind of encompasses the entire history of this issue, as well as like Israel's lurch to the right and then the American element of it. Um, I mean, it really goes into like Israeli society and 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 like the, the trajectory of like even separation of these two communities, because, you know, Palestinians and Israelis actually used to mingle a lot more. Now they're completely separated and segregated. And it kind of goes through the evolution of that and why it's really, really good book. Um, and it's written it's written really well. Um, and then Ali Abunima has written several books. I think one of the best is um, the, well, he's written The Battle for Justice in Palestine, but he's also written a really important book called Once. I think it's called One State. Um, if I'm not mistaken. And the reason I think that's important is because, you know, we can talk all day about the problem, right? We know what the problem is, but there is a solution. And my personal opinion, and I think if you just look at the facts, it's really the only option. There is no two-state solution. It's an illusion. It's, it, it can't happen. The facts on the ground prevent it from happening. Israel makes sure it can't, ha can't happen by, you know, surrounding Palestinian neighborhoods with Jewish yeah. settlements that you just can't move anymore. Like there you, at this point, so many Jewish settlements have lived there for more than gen one generation that, like, you just can't uproot people. Um, but, you know, it makes it impossible. There will never be a Palestinian state, at least not a sovereign one that's ever, like, allowed to have borders and an army. It'll just be a bunch of, you know, a collection of ghettos, which is what it is now. So you already do have one state. You have one state with an Israeli government that rules over an extra like 5 million Palestinians who just have no rights. And, you know, if we're all really as liberal as we say, and we believe in democracy the way we say, then the, the answer is just one state, one person, one vote. Like, that's the answer. And people who oppose that oppose it on racist grounds. Yeah. They oppose it on, they oppose it on the grounds that, but then there won't be a Jewish majority. Okay, like replace Jewish with white and see how ridiculous that sounds. Then there won't be a white majority. Like, I'm sorry, but this is a region of the world where there's a lot of non-Jews and you either, either you're what you want to kick them out, you want to subjugate them indefinitely forever so you can maintain a Jewish majority. Those are your options. And those two options are unacceptable. So the only acceptable option, if you're like a humane person, is to have one democratic state. And then, of course, what you get to that is like the response you'll get is, oh, but if Palestinians get to vote, they might outnumber the Jews and then they'll genocide them. And this is just a really, this is also a really racist argument because that's what they used to say about South Africa. If we mm -hmm. give the black people in South Africa rights, they'll genocide the white minority. Um, that's what they used to say about the Jim Crow South. If we give black people rights, they'll come kill all the whites. If we let them vote. They'll vote us out and kill us all. It's like, this is pure projection. It's like, it's like the people who are in charge are aggressive because they have a nationalist racist state or movement and they're terrified that the people that they're subjugating the natives they're subjugating are gonna do to them what they've done um but that's not the case here palestinians don't have some settler colonial ideology they want to impose on jews they're just native inhabitants of this area of the world who like other people want to have full rights and freedoms to live normally and so I think that, anyways, that's why I go back to Ali's book, because I think that it's really important to, when we talk about this issue to talk about what the answer is. And I think that that's the only answer. I don't see any other way moving forward. And of course, that requires the U.S. to stop giving Israel $3.8 billion a year 
in unconditional military aid to continue to do what it's doing to continue its occupation and its endless wars. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I will say like, I'm glad people are optimistic, but I am not. Um, yeah. I'm not optimistic because I think that Israeli society has just become so hateful and so racist towards Palestinians. And there's no check on that. Like, obviously, like the South African minority, right, during apartheid was also very hateful and racist, but they were able to eventually, they were forced. The solution was imposed on them. Um, with Israel, I don't see anyone imposing that solution. All I see is the EU and the US continuing to give Israel a blank check. So it's like you have this crazy, increasingly right-wing and violent and fanatical Israeli state that has no obstacles in its way to carry out its insane agenda. And that's what scares me. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, to think about being, you know, a Palestinian teenager in that circumstance is just kind of like, wow, literally the entire world is trying to kill me. Like, the whole yeah. world <laughs> is fucking lined up to just make sure that I am not a thing anymore. You know, mm -hmm. it's really, really... Yeah, that's and a very, you, very sad feeling, you know? And yeah. you, you can you can look at the maps, um, you know, from 1947 to now and see, to exactly your point, that um, the settlements have, you know, decade by decade surrounded uh, the Palestinian population entirely um, until... It, now when it's just this tiny little sliver yep um that's what settler colonialism you know, looks like. i mean there's like some of that's what settler colonialism looks like like i just been don't a very i don't know project. i don't know how you can look at that and look at what has transpired just in our lifetimes uh and you know as you said uh israel's lurched to the right and not see Israel as the, uh, as the aggressor. You can't yeah. like, again, uh, if you look at the maps, the Palestinian population is this tiny little sliver on the map and they have no army and they are not organized <laughs> in any formal sense. Um, so, you know, just logistically, they cannot be the aggressor in. No, yeah, even if they wanted way. to be, yeah, like even, even if, if they, they wanted, wanted to. to be, they can't. Um, and even their their uh, the Palestinian Authority, which is in charge of the West Bank, um, has really just been co opted by the Israelis and the Americans to carry out Israel Israeli security practices for it. Like it carries out the occupation in certain Palestinian areas on Israel's behalf. So like they've even managed to create a little puppet regime inside of Palestine, which actually kind of gives you an idea of if there was to be some sort of like pretend Palestinian state that they wanted to pretend was like a two-state solution. That's the kind of government it, ha it would have. It would just have a government that carried out the occupation for the Israelis and for the Americans. So like, let's, let's, let's talk just quickly a little bit about where we are in uh in an american uh foreign policy uh position posture towards uh towards israel right now because um as of this recording which is uh 7:51 p.m. on Tuesday the 11th um the Biden administration has not 
released an official statement um, regarding the escalating violence against uh, the Palestinians. And I don't know if I expect them to. Uh, um, and this this really shows the limitations of even uh, of even democratic politics. Uh, uh, capital D democratic politics. Yeah, I mean, even our dude Bernie has like you know he's better on it than yeah. us, but not amazing. Well, he said he said something about Jerusalem, but I guess he hasn't said anything since it escalated with Gaza, which yeah. was yesterday. So uh, here's what I think: I think that Democrats are in an interesting position because it's for the first time polling shows that 53 percent of Democrats, um, not in not Democrats in Congress, but just people who identify as Democrats, 53% now support the U.S. government pressuring Israel to end the occupation. Um, that's never been the case before. So increasingly, the Democratic base over the years has been changing. And I think that was reflected in 2016 when Bernie Sanders was running against Hillary Clinton. And he made these really great statements that I've never, ever heard from a presidential candidate about this issue. Like he got up on stage during a debate with Hillary Clinton in Brooklyn, New York, of all places, uh, to say Palestinians have human, like have rights and are human and we should treat them with dignity. And that shouldn't be a controversial statement, but in American politics, it is. And ever since then, you've had a growing number of people in Congress, you know, speaking out on this issue, whether it's Bernie Sanders, I mean, even Elizabeth Warren has gotten a little better on it. Um, you have the squad types, the AOC, the um, Ilhan Omar has been really great on this. Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib are in Congress and actually support BDS, uh, which is and and they were actually before, they were right? banned they were banned from visiting from Israel <laughs> Israel because of it. And then right. of the other members of the squad in solidarity said that they would not uh, visit Israel. Israel. Right. Um, Which was, you know, great. So it shows you that that the rhetoric and the popular views on this issue, at least on the, Dem on the Democratic Party, are shifting. They're shifting slowly, but they're shifting. That said, that puts Democrats in a really tough position because Democrats are also a pro-war party. Which yeah. means, means they're an imperialist party, right? Both parties support U.S. imperialism or else they wouldn't be... You know, they wouldn't be major parties. They have to. Um, and in order to support U.S. imperialism, I mean, Israel, the reason it gets away with what it does, the reason the U.S. gives it so much aid every year isn't just because the U.S. loves Israel. It's because Israel is an arm of U.S. imperialism in the Middle East, as is Saudi Arabia, right? Like Saudi Arabia doesn't share any values with America. Saudi Arabia exactly. is like yeah. a crazy right-wing theocracy that like beheads people and doesn't let women drive. And that's kind of like the least of it. Um, they like chopped up a journalist um, a well, couple of years I ago. I don't really like when women drive either. So, you know, let's. <laughs> to be fair, to it be doesn't fair. share values with everyone, maybe, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> to be fair, no, actually, you know, I'm like a stereotype. I'm a, as a woman driver, I won't go into that, but um, I would be okay with not being allowed to drive, I guess. But my point is, is that Israel. Like no matter it's like we're we're you know because Saudi Arabia is a is a very valuable asset to us because it sits on top of a lot of oil because it you know carries out U.S. interests in the Middle East it it's given a pass right it can carry out this famine this genocidal policy in Yemen for example that like is set to kill four hundred or like have four hundred thousand people starved to death this year in Yemen because Saudi Arabia is blockading it and the U.S. 
you know, kind of stands by, and not just stands by, it helps Saudi Arabia by arming it. That's kind of the same position Israel's in. And so, like, Democrats are having, I think, the same dilemma with Israel that they're having with Saudi Arabia, where, like, yeah, the values don't match up, and it's really messed up what they're doing to their neighbors, but we also need them to police this region for us. Right. And, and so, also, the Saudi, I feel that the Saudis are, you know, Democratic politicians, you're reg, you're run-of-the-mill down... Uh, run of the mill down the middle Democrat in Congress is perhaps a little more inclined to push back on Saudi Arabia's kind of extrajudicial and human rights violations. Uh, again, going back to what we were discussing earlier, because um, Jewish Israelis are kind of seen as uh, white. European adjacent, uh, right, and which is leg gives them a leg up, right? Right, like, <laughs> sure. Um, and I think I I actually think that it, one of the biggest ways that the needle has moved has been uh, this younger generation of uh, Jewish Americans many of whom uh, do not support Israel. Um, and, yeah, and actually I, feel offended by being like, right. conflated with, like, they're like, I don't really have anything to do with that. You know, that's <laughs> actually anti-Semitic, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah, and I don't and conflate I think, with Israel. Yeah, yeah, and I think that Bernie Sanders being, you know, again, back in 2016, um, being on the world stage and saying what he said as a Jewish man himself uh, inspired a lot of a lot of people. I know I, I obviously I'm a I'm a goy myself, so I can't uh, I can't I can't speak to this to this exactly. But just just from the people that I know, um, yes, as Kate mentioned, very, uh, you know, offended by the weaponization of. Uh, of anti-Semitism, just and kind of applying it to anything that is that is critical of Israel. Mm-hmm. That's been happening. I mean, I've seen that. It's It's been really frustrating, I'll say, as an Arab to have to deal with that. Like, uh, especially growing up. Um, so my family's not Palestinian. They're Lebanese. But growing up, I mean, one reason this issue is kind of near and dear to my heart is because I grew up watching Israel bomb Lebanon. Um because again, once again, like Israel plays this role of like police in the region. And so it's not just Palestinians who are affected by the Israeli, by the Israelis. It's not just Palestinians who have had their land stolen by the Israelis. Israel used to occupy southern Lebanon the way it occupies the West Bank. It was really brutal. They ran prisons where they tortured people. Um, and they also still continue to occupy a huge chunk, chunk of the Golan Heights, which is Syrian territory. Right. Um, and they you know, routinely get into these, you know, they routinely bomb Lebanon, usually Southern Lebanon. Um, and so I watched that growing up. And so it was, it, it played a role for me, like growing up and understanding U.S. imperialism and Israel, but also like when I would speak out about it as a kid, because that was the issue I was politicized on just because of the family I grew up in, I would get called an anti-Semite. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was like, and so it's kind of like something like think, you know, and I'm just, I'm not even, I don't live in the, I mean, I live in the Middle East now. I didn't grow up in the Middle East. I don't, I certainly didn't grow up in Palestine. So 
it's been even harder to see, you know, Palestinians have been, been called anti-Semites, like since Israel stole their land. Mm -hmm. um, it has been such an abused term and it's been so weaponized to the point where not only does it not, I mean, I don't think it works as well anymore, but I also think it's made a mockery of actual anti-Semitism and it's made, a, it's, it's cheapened it. Like it's cheapened it to the point where like, are you really, like, okay, for example, the uh, mayor of this town in Israel called Lod, which is a mixed uh, Palestinian Jewish town. Not very many cities in Israel are like this anymore. This this is one that is. And uh, right now there's riots there. Like think of like kind of like BLM style riots uh, because Palestinian citizens of Israel are really pissed off about the escalations in Jerusalem and Gaza. And so there was they were protesting in solidarity with Jerusalem. One of the Palestinians was shot yesterday by like a Jewish Israeli and that escalated tensions more. Now Netanyahu's like sending in more and more police, and so they're like burning cars and buildings, kind of like what you saw last year over George Floyd. And like the, the point of raising this is that the mayor, the Israeli Jewish mayor of the city, like appealed to the media, and he was like, it's like Kristallnacht here. The Palestinians are committing pogroms. They're burning down all the Jewish things. And so that's what I mean. It's like, are you really gonna miss you? Like how much more cheap can you make like the Holocaust and anti-Semitism than to use it to describe like totally natural and normal protests and riots yeah. by like a subjugated population. Well, so it's, anyways, it's, it's I guess using, like the, it's using the history of one ethnic so, cleansing to justify another. Yeah. It's a, it's a, but it's, it's, yeah, it's like super absurd and all I mean, genocides matter. Yeah. <laughs> all genocides <laughs> matter. I mean, it's just like, do you know what Kristallnacht was? I think you have it a little bit, like, I think you're a little bit off here. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that this, like, attempt to try, and I think the fact that American Jewish opinion is changing on this issue, and I think some of the people on the front lines of American uh, protests against what Israel's doing and against U.S. support for Israel are groups like JVP, like Jewish Voice for Peace, and if not now, which is also like, you know, JVP adjacent and like is also just like young Jews who like support racial equality and like progressive politics. Of which there are many. Yeah. Right. Mostly. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. Right. And so I think that it makes it harder to like, I, I just, I appreciate it because I just remember growing up and being like, man, like if Arabs say anything, we're all just anti-Semites. So it's really good to have like this younger Jewish generation be like super active and politicized on this issue because it's like, yeah, try calling us anti-Semites now. Yeah. Like, yeah. Good luck. Yeah. I've yeah. got two Jews next to me and they agree with me. <laughs> so there. Well, and there's like, there's definitely like a whole, um, you know, like there's, there's a whole kind of a nonprofit industrial complex that sort of like furthers this notion that any, criticism of Israel is, is anti-Semitic. Like, you know, there's a, yeah, there's, there's, there's press release. There's like press releases that, you know, talk about anti-Semitism every time someone like Ilhan or Rashida Tlaib <laughs> says right? like, Hey, you know, please don't kill people. I mean, for, the yeah. ADL. Yeah. yeah. The ADL has been like completely absent. All these conflict, all this conflict in Jerusalem, they didn't say anything. And then they, like, I think they came out with something yesterday. They were like Hamas shot at Israel. Yeah. Like, that was like Jesus. their first comment. Like, yeah. I'm like, Hey guys. Also the ADL, um, 
fun fact is it's the, is uh, the, the anti-defamation league anti-defamation league which pretends to be this like this like anti-racism organization but it really just behaves as an Isra- as like an extension of the israel lobby like a lobby and yeah. and uh the adl is actually a huge force in advising twitter and facebook and instagram on what constitutes hate speech yeah which is very bad because they basically, that's how they kind of launder the, oh, by the way, like, pro-Palestine is anti-Semitic. Yeah. Just so you know. It, it's so frustrating. <laughs> like, a way, way lower stakes. Yeah, this, like, just to kind of, like, uh, an extremely lower stakes example that doesn't have anything to do with it, but it reminds me, <laughs> like, in some ways, you, like, when you know that person, like, that, like, like a toxic dude that he's like, this girl yelled at me, you know, and then you're like, what'd you do right before that? And he's like, <laughs> and sex with her best friend, and then, I, you know, it's like, okay, you know, there's just no, like, it's really important to talk about these situations in context, and there <laughs> is, yelled at yeah, and there, there's, it's really, really important to talk about these situations in context but like the entire corporate media apparatus like is you know kind of aligned on removing all context from of course any of these discussions so it's like even if not even always do it they do it on so many issues though i feel like palestine is such a important opportunity to like to really reflect on just how biased the media is because it's like so blatant and in your face with palestine but it really should lead people to be better critical thinkers about how they cover other things. Yeah. Because, like, if they're lying this much about Palestine, you know, the corporate media is probably lying about, like, everything else. Yeah, it's horrible. On, like, a number of levels. Like, whether it's on, you know, foreign policy, whether it's, like, what's happening in Iraq or Iran or whether it's, like, Venezuela or Cuba or whatever country America hates at the moment. Um, or even domestically. Like, it's a good... It's really, like, because uh, it's so obvious on Palestine. It's just a good place to remember, like, oh, wow, they, like, really don't tell the truth and whitewash on behalf of, like, whatever they're, you know, whoever's funding them. And, weapons companies. You know, this, is, this is not a, it's not at all uh, an analogous situation, but it, it, I think the changing attitudes that we see um, from uh, Western Jews anyways, um, reminds me of uh the troubles in northern ireland uh the you know the conflict the civil conflict between protestants and catholics and basically a big part of the what became the good friday peace accords was just the fact that like there was an entire generation of protestants and catholics a new generation who just were not that invested in the the conflicts of their parents and their grandparents, and they didn't see the point of proliferating violence in their in their homes. Um, right. But I don't know. I obviously, the, I mean, the reason why it's not an analogous situation is because violence continues to unimaginably proliferate in uh in israel um yeah i i don't know it's a, that's it's, it's just something it's that bad. i i was thinking about it's bad i mean it's bad i also just like i hope i didn't make everybody depressed i just i tend to be super cynical and this i hope is a i'm depressing wrong topic and it's, <laughs> it's a depressing topic it's but like the whole middle east yeah the whole middle east is like super depressing and like 
a lot of it is because of America's role there. Like America has played such a disastrous role. And again, Israel's an extension of that. And, you know, it's, it goes back to American empire, like whether it's destroying Iraq or whether it's sanctioning and strangling Iran and Syria and now Lebanon, or whether it's, you know, supporting these Gulf state, these Gulf regimes that like are just a bunch of monarchies who suck and support awful things in the region too. Like it just, or whether it's Israel and supporting it unconditionally. I mean, the U.S. has played such a destructive role, whether it's destroying Libya. I mean, we like Libya was one of the most stable countries in North Africa, and now it has open air slave markets and it's right. ruled by a bunch of warring militias. Like it just the U.S. needs to just get out of the Middle East. It needs yeah, to not it's never a good it's like, never, like leave the Middle East alone. And part of that is like stop arming the Israelis. Right. It's not going to happen. But until that happens, until the U.S. plays less of a role in the region it's going to continue to be a disaster because the region's just like flooded with weapons and backing of parties that want war and are causing war. And like until that weapons flow, that money flow, you know, stops, it's just right. the way it's going to be. And just just to close the loop on on this, uh, the, the Washington Post uh, article that I, I was referencing earlier that I was, you know, pleasantly surprised to see, again, it doesn't go far enough, was, it was a column, it wasn't even an op-ed, by uh, Ishan Tarur, who oh, is on their... Oh, he's usually pretty decent, yeah. On their foreign policy desk, and he, it's called, the U.S. calls for, quote, calm between Israelis and Palestinians, but it's part of the problem, which is the understatement <laughs> of the century. Yeah. But yeah. also, yeah. I mean, again, for the mainstream media, uh, what a... What a swing. It is, I mean, for the mainstream media, yes, it does have a little bit of that uh, officer-involved shooting feel to it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, how, how was the officer involved? You know, what was <laughs> what was the officer's involvement? You know? Um, so, yeah. Uh, anyway, we do need to wrap up here, but this was just, this was such a, a good, if uh, very, you know, sad conversation about uh, a lot of things that are very fucked up. Um, where can people follow your work to learn more and, um, you know, keep uh, keep abreast of anything that we can possibly do to to move uh, this this you know to try to to try to get the U.S. to stop arming the Israelis? I guess is <laughs> yeah. what I'm going to say. That's a good way to put it. That yeah. should be the name of the campaign. Get yeah. the U.S. to stop arming the Israelis. It's very yeah. straightforward. Um, people can follow me on Twitter at Rania Kalik, R-A-N-I-A-K-H-A-L-E-K. And more importantly, they can follow my work at Breakthrough News. We're on YouTube, on Instagram, on Twitter. Um, and yeah, mostly mostly on YouTube. I'm, I'm constantly putting up uh, videos and interviews there and I write. So website as well, BreakthroughNews.org. But thank you so much. This was an awesome conversation. This was great. Thank you, thank you so, so much, Rania. This was a blast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to Reply Guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash replyguys, where we have a catalog of over 25 bonus interviews with renowned writers, journalists, and comedians, with an additional episode uploaded each week. The show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at O Julia Tweets, O-H Julia Tweets, 
And Twitter is where you can, of course, also find our reply guys. They are always with us. Bernie, take us out. As I went walking that ribbon of highway, I saw above me that endless skyway. I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. This land is yours.